the stuff that you guys saw out in the tent came from the building, and so this week, uh, this is our first service back, and we've, been, we've got it all set up and been running through it over the last uh, couple of days, but uh, sometimes getting back to normal is a challenge. You know how that is, you come home from vacation, and you're tired and you need a vacation from your vacation because uh, the pile of laundry that's stacking up now, all the things that need to be done, the lawn that needs to be mowed, the house that needs to be cleaned, all the things, and you think, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. And uh, you get back to normal. And this morning, we're actually going to be talking about getting back to normal. And uh, there is a town we're going to get to, and it's called Rephidim. Rephidim. So can you all say that with me? Rephidim. Okay, let's try it. One, two, three. Rephidim. Uh, we're going to talk about Rephidim, normal, today. And, uh, and the children of Israel are going to come to this city of this area called Rephidim, and it is a place that they are supposed to, after all the things that have happened, it's supposed to get back to normal. And we know that in life, we can't live with the, uh, the unusual things that happen in our life. This past week uh, on Tuesday was Rebecca's and my 25th anniversary and uh, 25 years of being married. And uh, thank you. That should be for her, not for me. Uh, she had, I had the easy part. She had the difficult part. Um, and uh, you, you talk, I would, uh, Oscar came in uh, by my office on, the, on our anniversary day and he said, happy anniversary. And I said, man, it's 25 years. And I, and I think, you know, 25 years, like, that was an achievement. That's been a thing, you know, 25 years. And he goes, yeah, 40, 45 years. And I'm like, oh, 45 years. I figured out 25. How do you get to 45? I mean, that's, that's quite a deal. And then uh, I talked with uh, another couple in our church, and they said 60-something years. I'm like, 60-something years? How do, you, how do you do that? One year at a time, right? You, one day at a time. You just get up in the next day, and you, you end up at 60 years. You can't live on those big moments. And I remember going back to uh, our first anniversary. And uh, I, it, it, you all remember, uh, it, when you first got married, you didn't need anything but love and a very small house. Like, you didn't need food. You didn't need a car. You just, you loved each other. That's all you needed. And you just needed a place to sleep. Like, that was it. And maybe a job. That would have helped. But uh, you're, those first years, you're just scraping by, just trying to make it. And uh, so I, I, I remember on, just before we were married, I received a phone call. And uh, that phone call said, you are in luck. You have won. Now, I don't know if you all have ever received a phone call like that before. But at uh, 24 years of age, I thought, I won? This is amazing. And she began to tell me that I won a vacation for only $99. And I'm like, I am so lucky. And she said, and you have one year to use this vacation. And so I like, I'm sold. And so I bought a vacation for $99 for the two of us. It included airline tickets, lodging, no food, uh, but it included the airline tickets and the lodging for us to get there. And it was going to be in Fort Lauderdale in Cancun. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever received those phone calls, but if somebody calls you and says that you won a trip to Fort Lauderdale in Cancun, just hang up. Like, it is a scam. I didn't know that, though. I was, I was green, and I was excited that I was going to have something special for my wife on our first anniversary because I had a year to use this. 
And I won't go into the whole story, but it was a memory when we have, in 25 years, we have never been back to Cancun because we're like, if that is Cancun, we do not want to go there. Like, it was, it was awful. And uh, one of the things that happened, and that's just, we can't live in these areas, but these are the highlights of our lives that we look back on. And it's not the, it's not the everyday, it's not the normal, but it is, it is these memories that show up periodically in our life that, that cause us to have fond memories of the last 25 years. But if you really look at the last 25 years, you would say, kind of boring. Like, what did you do? I went to work, I came home, I ate dinner, went to bed, got up, went to work, came home, had dinner. But periodically, there's these things. And so when we went to Cancun, we finally got there. It was, it was miserable. They took us to our hotel, dropped us off. Uh, they picked us up an early, early 80s uh, limousines, uh, that, and they just shoved like 12 people into them. And uh, our luggage was bungee strapped to the limousine as we were going to the resort. It was amazing. Got to our resort, no water in the pool, sand in the floor of our hotel room, nothing in the hotel room except a bed and one nightstand. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. We've never been back. We, uh, we, they said on, on our way over, on the, on the ship over, which we had to hold our luggage on the ship as we were going to Cancun. We were like, oh, where do we put our luggage? And they just said, you just hold it. So we're sitting on the deck of the ship holding our luggage going, this is what everybody likes? Like, this is amazing. Why would people do this? We get to Cancun, and they had sold us on this trip of going to the beach because we've always been told, like, you've got to see the ocean in Cancun. And so we're like, okay, we'll go do this. And so we paid some pretty good money for this trip. It was a tour, they said. So they, they put us all on a, on a bus, and they drove us out to the middle of nowhere. And they dropped us. They stopped on the side of the road, and there was this path. It was like a wooden path that went from the road into the woods. And they said, just follow the path, and it will take you right to the beach. And we're like, well, this might be romantic. So we get off, and we're walking down this path. And as I'm looking around, I'm like, why is there a wooden path here on the sand? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And we're walking and walking and walking. About 20 minutes later, we get to the, I can see the end of the path. And we get there, and there is no beach. Like, it is, it's all pine trees. Like, we started into pine trees. The pine trees ended, and it was a three-foot drop-off into water. Like, the path just stopped. We have never been back to Cancun, just in case you wondered. And so we're like, well, I guess we're going to enjoy this while we're here. So we go out into the, we go out in the water, and it was neat because you're standing, you know, shoulder deep, and you can see your feet. And I like that. I like not, you know, I like to see what's eating my toes. And so we, we're, we're looking at this, and, and all of a sudden I see out a ways like this dark wall. And I'm like, what is that? And it starts moving towards us, and we felt the wind kind of pick up, and we're like, oh, that is rain. Like, we better get out of here. So we hurry up, get out, and we start walking down this path, and the rain literally is moving. Like, it is right on our tails. And then we noticed that the water level started rising there in that area. Like, the water was not being absorbed into the ground. It was just pooling. And then as the water was pooling, we're walking down this path, rain on our tails. Like, we are hiking it. All of a sudden, we see all of these crabs come up out of the water in the ground, and now the crabs are chasing us as we're hiking it down this path back to the bus to get on the bus to go, we are never coming back to Cancun. Like, this place is not for us. 
Some of you that go, I always wonder, like, hey, we're taking a cruise to Cancun. I'm like, good luck. Like, you will not enjoy that. We've been there. But we go on these things, and those are the highlights that we have in our life. That's not every day. Every day is very boring, very humdrum, because we wouldn't be able to survive if every day was this highlight. And we have to live in the, in the ordinary. Life today here in our church, we call this Back to the Building Sunday. Because we've been out in the tent for a month, and it has been amazing, hasn't it? I mean, every Sunday under the tent, there's been baptisms. Every Sunday, almost every Sunday under the tent, somebody's been saved. And that has been fantastic, and we want to see that continue here in our church. But I guarantee you that some of you came in this morning, and you saw the tent, and you thought, we're not out in the tent, are we? Like, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to come back to normal We want to be in the building. We want to be in air conditioning. If it rains, we don't want to have to hold umbrellas. We enjoyed that, but we don't want that to be our normal. We want this to be our normal right here. But my fear is that as we come back to normal, that we get into the humdrum of life and we forget why we are here. We forget the purpose for which we are gathering here today. And if you open your Bibles and if you look with me in Exodus chapter number 17, we're going we're gonna to be there. And I hope that your fingers are ready this morning because we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. And Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to be. But there are two things that the church, there's multiple things that the church is supposed to do. But there's two things that I want to focus on today. And, and Walter so, so already has hit on this. And that is we are here for praise. Now, oftentimes we think that praise is our singing back to God, but our praise is the manner in which we live our life back to God. We are here to praise God. Look at, if you've got your finger in uh, Exodus chapter number 17, would you turn over to Psalm chapter 107? Psalm chapter 107 and verse number 31 As the church, we are not just to come here and gather. We are here, we are to come, and this is the purpose for why we are supposed to be here. Psalm 107, verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. What is it that we are supposed to do? We are supposed to praise the Lord for his goodness and wonderful works. Psalm 107, verse 31, praise him for his goodness and for his wonderful works. What has God done for you this morning? You all woke up this morning. Your eyes opened. And you know what you did when you woke up? You took a breath. You may have stretched your arms and your legs. You put your feet on the ground. You were able to stand up. It may have hurt a little more than it did yesterday. But you were able to stand up. You were in a house, roof over your head. You survived the storm last night. There were people in America that were living in shelters last night because their house was destroyed by a storm that went through their their area. You didn't have that. Did you praise God for your house this morning? 
Did you praise God that you could see this morning, that you could take a breath this morning? Did you praise God that your feet and your hands worked? Did you praise God that, that you could smell that coffee that was going on in the house this morning? Did you praise God for the little things, for what his marvelous works for? Or do we wait to praise God when we get to go to Cancun? It ought to be that every day, the humdrum of life, we praise God for the mighty things that he has done. We woke up, I woke up this morning and my lovely wife was right next to me. She woke up this morning and she wondered what that noise was all night next to her. The little things. Praise God for what he has done for us. And I think as a church, we have to get back in the habit of praising God for all the things that he does for us. So many times I, I love hearing Walter pray and I love what he says before his prayers because he brings out these things that I'm like, man, that is good. Why didn't I think of that? And I write him down and I write him in my mind and I try to remember the things that he says because I'm like, I have got to not just praise God with my voice. I've got to praise him with my body, praise him with my soul and my spirit. I've got to praise God with my whole self. And this morning, as a church, as we come back together, as we're here in what we call normal, where we normally gather, we have to remember that we are here to praise the Lord. As you are talking with one another, it ought to be just so normal among us to be talking about the goodness of God in our lives. Because there are people here this morning that are really struggling. There's people here this morning that they got up and something wasn't working like it was the other day. There are people here this morning that are going through trials and difficulties and they've got this burden on them and they need to be reminded that even though there's difficulty happening, God is still good. God is still a great God who wants to work in our hearts and work in our lives and do something special for us. And it takes us work to focus on the goodness of God. One of the things that I do uh, just about every time we go to Disney World is I tell my family when we walk in, I'm like, we are going to find that person. And you're like, what is that person? That person is the person that they have planned the trip, they have spent the money, and they have kids that are, they are thinking this is going to be a trip of a lifetime for them. And during that trip, sometime, I will find a parent who is having a meltdown with their kid going, you don't understand how much I paid for this trip. Why aren't you enjoying it? Instead of focusing on the fact that they are in Disney World with their kid who is young, who does not know any better, who is tired and cranky just like you are, who just wants to enjoy the time with their family. And we focus on those times where the things are difficult and things are a problem and things aren't working out like they should. And instead of focusing on everything that is working out, we focus on that one thing that isn't. And we as a church, we need to work and focus on our praise. The other thing we need to focus on is our prayer. So first is our praise, second is our prayer. If you have your Bibles open and are looking at Exodus chapter number 17, we're going to read a, an account here of where the children of Israel go to Rephidim. 
Now, Rephidim is the end, almost the end of a journey that God has has them on. And it's almost a three-month journey that he has them on from leaving Egypt to arriving at Mount Sinai. They are at the last stop. Just before they get to Sinai, they stop at Rephidim. And Rephidim is one of these places what they were looking forward to getting to. Rephidim is also an account where, as, we'll, as we read this, you will be reminded of an event that happened here at Rephidim. And maybe you didn't know about it, but maybe you did, and maybe you just forgot that it happened at Rephidim. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, read with me in Genesis chapter 17, starting in verse number 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee uh, of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go, fight, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. And he fought with Amalek and Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This story is an account that I believe you have in your memory. As a kid, you have seen the picture of, the, of Moses standing on that rock and hitting it with his, with his rod and water coming out of the rock. Rephidim was a place of refuge. They had journeyed, if you remember, that they left Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. And this rod in this account is the same rod that Moses used when he held it out over the Red Sea and the water split. And they crossed across on dry ground. And remember, the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. These were servants for 400 years. These were not warriors. These were not pre people prepared to go into battle. These were servants who have been set free, delivered by God. And in Egypt, as God let them out, they learned that God was their deliverer. 
And as they came through the wilderness, if you remember up to this point, that God, they said, we're hungry and God provided quail and manna. They said, we're thirsty and God provided water for them. And they saw that God was not just their deliverer, he was their provider. And God is trying to teach his people. He's trying to take them from a family and make them into a nation. And he's trying to teach them about himself. And so as they travel through the wilderness, God has them on this specific course of life that he's trying to teach them and show them who he is so they can understand who he is and how they can love him and how he loves them. And as we look at this journey through Exodus, we see that most of the journey is just a boring journey. And Egypt and Israel here, they were waiting to get to this point where they knew that it was going to be a refuge. And as they got there, as we often happens, I want you to see this, we get to normal and all of a sudden they ask two questions. There are two questions that Moses asked. Look at verse number two. Why chide you with me? And in verse number four, he said, what shall I do? Why and what? You ever ask yourself when things are just boring and normal, why is this happening? What is going on? Why is my life just boring? Your life isn't boring. God is trying to teach you lessons and help you to prepare you for the big moments that are going to come in your life. Moses, in verse number five, God tells him to take that rod, the thing that he has learned to trust in. And we see that that rod is used for many things throughout the course of Moses' life. God did not use a rod with Joshua. God does not always work in the same way. He promises to do the same things, but not necessarily in the same way. And so just as we see God working in the Bible, we can understand and know that God will work today just like he did then. It may not be the same way, but God is going to work. So in verse number five, he takes that rod and he strikes the rock and water comes out. And notice the question. In verse number seven, that the children of Israel are asking Moses, is the Lord among us or not? You know, today, I don't think it takes a brilliant person to look at our world and see that our world is in chaos. You talk about people, uh, my daughter at work, she works at a restaurant and she works with a group of people. She does not know if they're saved or not, but she said a young, one of the People came in, one of the cooks came in uh, two weeks ago, and he said, I think the end of the world is coming. And Juliana, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, said, I think you're right. It does not take a genius to look at what's going on in our world and go, the world is on fire. We see in the scriptures that the, the scriptures teach us that it's going to be like the world is going through birth pains in order to... Uh, get us ready. He said, but that is not the end of time. Not, it's not, the time is not now, but it's getting us ready for the end. So all of these things that are going on are just so necessary for us, for, for the world to turn to Christ. And I believe that the world is looking at the church and they're asking us, is God with you or not? Is the Lord among us? Or not? Is what you do in that building, that thing that you go to every single week, that thing that you say is important in your life, that thing that you teach your kids is important, is God there or not? And this morning I want to ask you, 
do we come in here and we do this because it's Sunday morning? Why do you go to church? It's because what I, it's, it's just what I do. Has it become so normal that we do not invite God into what we're doing anymore? Do you prepare your heart to come and worship the Lord, to praise him? Do you come? Do you show up and go, God, I hope you do something this morning. Man, I can't wait to see the people that I know. And I love coming in and seeing the people that I know. I love the ladies that come, the, the older ladies, honey, the older ladies that come in and they hug my neck and they, they, they're like, man, it's good to see you again this week. I love seeing the people of our church. I love it. When you aren't here, I ask pastor, did you see so-and-so? Were they here? Did I miss them? Some of you come in the other door and I have to catch you a different way. I just love the people of our church. And I think that you all do too. That's, what, that's part of what the church is about. Is we gather together as the body of Christ. But is it just that we're looking forward to seeing each other? Or are we looking forward to seeing God do something while we're here? Do we ask God to step in and to move in the service today? Do we ask God to do something in a heart? Do we ask God to encourage somebody that we know is going through a difficult time? God, would you use the worship this morning? Would you use the message this morning to challenge their heart? Would you help me to be an encouragement to somebody this morning? Do we come here looking to serve or do we come here looking to be served? And the world is asking us, is the Lord among you? And I would hope that we would look at them and say, yes, God is moving in our midst. But we come to verse number eight. And it says, then Amalek, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Rephidim was a place of rest. Rephidim was a place of normalcy. Rephidim was supposed to be a place where they could get, gather their breath again and get ready to go. But while they were waiting, Amalek came and attacked. Now, Amalek, if you don't know who they are, it's important to know who they are because we will see Amalek throughout the history of Israel. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. Israel are the descendants of Jacob. We see that the battle that began years ago now once again appears on the scene of the history of the Israelites and Amalek comes and fights with Israel. Esau is fighting with Jacob. Later on in scripture, you will see that Saul was supposed to fight and destroy the Amalekites, but he kept King Agag. He did not kill the Amalekites. Again, it was the battle between Jacob and Esau. He did not kill them. King Agag survived, and it said that he had a son before he was killed, and that son went on to have children. And later on in the book of Esther, we see the Amalekites rise again with a man by the name of Haman. And once again, the Israelites, Jacob and Esau, began fighting in the book of Esther. And so we see all through scripture, we see Jacob and Esau fighting. And Amalek here does something that 
that makes God mad. And if you look over in Deuteronomy chapter number 25, it kind of gives us a window into what it was that Amalek did that made God so mad. Verse number 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou was faint and weary, and he feared not God. What did Amalek do? He did not come out and fight them as other people fought face to face. Amalek came on and he picked off the weaker ones. He picked off the feeble ones. He picked off the ones that were in the back, the ones that were out on the fringes, the ones that were struggling. Amalek came in and he began to pick off those most in need. Do you know part of the responsibility of the church is to care for those who are most in need? That does not mean those who are the poorest. That does not mean those who are the weakest. That means that those who are in great need need great support. Part of what we're going to get to is that the church is here to to pray for and help spiritually encourage one another. Yesterday, I, I got permission from a family to share a story with you. And this family is a part of our church that desperately needs our help. Two days ago, Friday, Michelle Goins, she had a, a doctor's appointment scheduled. She's 20 weeks pregnant. Just a regular routine doctor's appointment. And she went in for the appointment and they did an ultrasound on the baby and they said, we find no heartbeat. Yesterday, she had to go in and be induced and deliver a baby boy, 20 weeks old. That family desperately needs our prayers. They held that little baby boy in their arms. And they asked God, what are you doing? Why? As we talked with her on on Friday, she said, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And I told her the way you make it is through the prayers and support of your church family. And she said, I have no family here in this area. The only thing I have is my church family, and I would not make it without them. Do you know what the responsibility is of our church family? To pray for that family. You may not know who they are. Michelle and Jean Goins. They have a daughter, Hannah, and a little boy, two years old. And they desperately need us to pray for them. They desperately need God who can work in hearts and lives and bring grace and peace and support to them that we could never do. And the only way that that battle is fought 
is not by us doing something, though us doing something is important. It's us going to another level, going to God and saying, God, you do what we can't. And we see that in this passage. If you look at verse number 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. You see, Moses understood something. Moses understood that it was not what we do, the fighting that mattered. It was going up and asking God to do something that we could never do on our own. And this morning, that is the challenge for our church. We are to praise, we are to worship God, but we are also to pray. And this morning, there are people here that desperately need our prayer. If you look at the last verse, in verse number 16, for he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In James chapter 5, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This morning, I want to challenge the church to something. I want to challenge the church to pray. You see, God told Moses that Amalek was going to fight Israel every generation, that every generation was going to have its battles with Amalek, which is a representative of a sinful nature. And this morning, you may be sitting here, and you may have something going on in your world, and you're saying to yourself, we will never, in my family, we will never defeat Amalek. We will never defeat the thing that is passed on from generation to generation. That sin that my father had, that sin that my grandfather had, the sin that I see in my own self, I'll never defeat it. My friend, it can be defeated today. It can be destroyed. You don't have to pass on that sin to your sons and to your grandsons and to your great-grandsons. You can defeat it today. You can stand up and you can say, God, I pray that you defeat Amalek in my life. And if you aren't facing a battle today, you can stand up and you can pray for those who are going through a difficulty and a challenge this morning. And I know it's 1030 and we should be done, but I'm going to ask you to do something as I close the service this morning. I so desperately see that our church needs to not only praise, but we need to pray. And I believe this morning, it's, this is going to be unusual, but I believe this morning that there are some people here this morning that desperately need prayer in their life desperately need God to do something. They may be fighting with a physical battle. They may be fighting with a mental battle. They may be fighting with something that we have no idea what it is. But they are sitting here this morning and they're saying, God, I just need you to do something in my life. God, I need you to step in. If you're sitting here this morning and you do not have a relationship with God, the most important thing you can do is to begin that relationship and ask God to come into your life and be the Savior and Lord of your life. And that's as simple as praying to God with your heart, saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. That is how our spiritual life begins, with a prayer. But this morning, I want our church to pray. 
But I don't want you just to pray about anything. I want you to pray for someone. And so this is where it's going to get a little challenging. But this is what we are called to do as a church. When we know that a brother or sister in Christ has a need, we pray for them. And so this morning, we don't have time to go around the room and ask everybody who has a prayer request to give us that prayer request. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a need in your life today that you are asking God to do something, or maybe you have something going on in your life and you don't even know what to ask God to do, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I know it's not easy standing up saying, I need prayer. But could we be honest this morning? Could we be honest with each other and say, I need prayer. I've got something in my life that I need God to do something. Would you stand up this morning? All over the room. You see, we are not in a battle alone. We are not in this all by ourselves. And so for our invitation this morning, I'm going to ask Jen to come up and to play. And for our invitation this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you are sitting beside somebody that is standing, would you turn around? Don't talk to them. Don't ask them what their prayer request is. But would you simply, if you feel comfortable and could do that, would you simply put your hand on that individual? And would you just pray that God would meet the need that they have in their life? that God would bring health and strength to them. If there's not somebody around you and you don't feel comfortable doing that, you just sit in your seat. Would you pray for Michelle and Jean Goins this morning? Would you ask God to do something in their, in their life? Would you pray for somebody that you know is going through a difficulty in this church that you know is a brother or sister in Christ? Would you pray for them this morning? Right now. As she's, as she's playing, would you stand and would you pray for somebody that's sitting around you? Just put your hand on them and let them know that you are praying for them. And in just a minute, I will come back and I will end in a word of prayer. But just go to God on their behalf this morning. Would you do that? If not, just spend time in prayer right there in your seat.
Our Father, we're thankful for this day. Lord, we are thankful that we have the opportunity to come to you and to lift our voices and our requests to you. Father, I pray that you will hear our prayers, that we as a church would gather together in the normalcy of every Sunday and every week as we come to church and as we get back to our routines, Lord, that we would come to you in praise and thank you for your mighty works. And Lord, that we would come to you in prayer on behalf of our brothers and sisters, on behalf of those who are struggling and in need, on behalf of those who are asking you to do something that only you can do. Our God, we come to you begging for you to step in and do only what you can do. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, we pray that the world would look at this place and they would not ask, is God among you? But they would say, we know that God is among that group of people. Lord, thank you for being an awesome God. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Thank you for coming this morning. And I pray that you will continue to pray for the people in our church, that God would work in their hearts and lives.